Um, as you can tell from my voice that uh, there's some things kind of going on. Um, and so uh, this will not be the Michael Jordan flu game per se, but it's not far off. Um, this morning we do have an opportunity to continue in our Advent series. We are going to drop the sermon, if you're following along in the devotional, we are dropping the sermon out that was going to be uh, John the Baptist's call. We'll pick up next week where we would leave off with Behold the Lamb of God. So uh, if, just if there's any confusion in that. So we just bumped this. We felt like we had to preach the sermon where it says the word becomes flesh since that is the title of the sermon series. So uh, we just didn't feel good about leaving it off. Um, a couple of things to say thank you for. On behalf of Paul Wagner's family, um, you know, many of you know his mother passed away a couple of weeks ago, and we had the funeral last Sunday. Um, and he, he just wanted to let you all know he, he and his family has, have felt really well-loved. So thank you for, um, for reaching out to them. Thank you for those who were able to make it out, even with the weather. Um, you, you did a fantastic job of loving he and his family. Continue to do so as that grieving process will carry on. Um, she was a joyous woman and uh, leave, leaves a pretty big hole for their family. So don't hesitate to ask them how they're doing. The other folks worthy of celebrating that I saw sneak in are a newly married couple as of yesterday. Um, I was able to officiate my first Caribbean wedding. Uh, I is that okay to say that, Joy? All right. So Joy and Robert Nibs, now are Robert Nibs Jr., uh, um, they are now married as of yesterday. So... Um, I, I do have to say, thus far, it's the best food I've ever eaten at a wedding, hands down. Um, so um, anyway, so thank you for, for that. And so if you would turn in your Bibles to John 1, 14 through 18, as we continue our uh, journey through John's chapters 1 and 2 in part, um, as we look at, um, again, how God longs to be with his people. Remember, that, that is the point of the whole story. And so often I think that's where we get off track. If we, if we forget that the entire point of the story of redemption, the entire point of our story, every single one of you, the point of your story is exactly the same, is that God longs to dwell with those who bear his image. And not only does he long to do that, but provides everything that is necessary for us to be redeemed and restored to him to enjoy the blessing that is dwelling with our creator, God. And so, um, as we talked about last, uh, last time we were together, the, the, there is a difference between the downhill ease of sin and the uphill battle of discipleship and sanctification. And so, how amazing is our God that given that it is an uphill slog, he provides so much help along the way uh, in so many different forms and fashions and make sure that we have everything that we could possibly need. So this morning, what I want you to get from this sermon is that Jesus Christ is the word made flesh to dwell among us, to reveal the grace and glory of God for our redemption. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is the word made flesh to dwell among us, to reveal the grace and glory of God for our redemption. So before we begin that, I do have a question for you, because I think this is just an important question, and, and, and if we're honest, we all wrestle with this, and at different points in our lives, we might answer this question differently. Do you perceive God as near or far? There are seasons, if we're honest, where, we, where he just feels like he is so, so, so far from us, right? 
We've all had, a, had those moments where it just feels like he, he resides maybe somewhere near the back of the universe if he exists at all. And then there's other times where he's so near to us and it's so strong and it's so sweet that we, like Peter, would love to build a tent right there and just never depart from that place, right? Because we've also felt the ebb and flow, right? And so, so my question beyond that, though, is what has most influenced your perception of God's nearness or farness? Is it, is it that you, is it some bad theology? Is it a misunderstanding of how God truly does, in fact, work? Is it that you just didn't get your way? You prayed for something once, which, by the way, let me just say as, as somebody who um, is getting on up there in years and now feels the cold in his bones, that's a new thing for me. I've never felt the cold in my bones. Like the last few days, I've been like, Susan, where's my shawl? <laughs> It's just terrible. Like, it's like it's just, it just shows up one day. Uh, you don't. There's no warning. Thank you, Josh. I'll take it. Um, and I just, it just, I've been feeling it for the first time in my life. I feel it like in my ribs, and so um, <clears throat> anyway. And I'm so hot natured, it's crazy. So we'll be cranking the heat up to 90 probably today or something. I don't know. Um, but anyway, it's just, it, what, what is influencing? So if, if you think that praying once or twice, three times, four, five, maybe even ten, is near enough, then you will be disappointed. There are times, do not get me wrong, where God answers prayers almost as fast as they can come off of your lips. And again, we'd love to build a tent right there and just, just dwell in that place where God answers prayers so fast that it's anticipated, but we don't get to dwell there. And, and I don't think that we learn or grow very much in that place. And so often we must do like the parable of the persistent widow who has to come and seek justice again and again and again. And so there's, there is times where that's just true. And I think for many, many people, probably younger in age, it, it, the farness of God is often related to unanswered prayer. Um, and so what, what is it that's influencing you? And I also want to make another plea to you, and I've, I've said this before. I recently read a book on infinity called Everything and More by David Foster Wallace. And, and if I were to arrogantly tell you I understood that book, um, uh, it, it would be ridiculous. I understood maybe a tenth of it, which begs the question if I even understood the tenth right? And so it was a lot of math. And you may be wondering why in the world I can't get into all that right now, but I did. I just read a book on infinity and it was a lot of really long math. And what's interesting about infinity is, uh, and this is going to sound like, duh, it just never ends, right? And so um, <laughs> that part I do know, but it's interesting because <clears throat> part of the argument is that uh, between any two prime numbers, there's an infinity as is there's infinity beyond. And then between any two of the betweens of the prime numbers, there's an infinity. And between any other two smaller points, there's an infinity of possibilities. So it does. It's like turtles all the way down or whatever. I don't know. Um, and so, so um, if I were to arrogantly assume, because I'd read one book by a guy who is not a mathematician named David Foster Wallace, uh, and think that I understand infinity, do you think that would make sense? No, not at all. In fact, <clears throat> I think we do God a great disservice when we oversimplify. Like, we're going to spend an eternity enjoying 
what it is that he is and what all this means. So what does that tell you about some measure of the complexity of this whole thing? And so we, we, we do it a great disservice when we, we treat God as if he should be simple math. As if he should be just, now, I want to put an asterisk for just one second. What is very simple, and this is critical, is how you can be saved. That part is crystal clear, and the scripture makes it so clear from start to finish that a child can glance at it and get it. However, the rest of it, creation, my wife and I had an opportunity to go to the Georgia Aquarium for the first time on Thursday, and Clay uh, Oldham works there, and he served as a, as a docent for part of it. And uh, now I think I'm an oceanographer. I've read a book on infinity. I'm a mathematician. I've gone to the aquarium once. I'm an oceanographer, right? All right so, so, <clears throat> but it was amazing as Susan and I were in the jellyfish display. And there's this one jellyfish. It looks like it's got cauliflower lace kind of coming off of it. And just watching them move. Eyeless. I don't even know if they have a brain. of. They have a neurosystem of some sort. But, God's, uh, but Susan said, isn't God just amazing? that he would put this much effort into this one thing, intricate and deep. Because, again, if you know anything about evolution, the more complex a system is, actually the greater its fragility, and that's contra-evolution, actually. And so it's just fascinating to see God in, in so many details. The whale shark as it swam around, and just it's, just it's just fascinating to watch these things and to see God's intricate complexity. I... I have no idea why he does it, but it was so fun to watch like even the little clownfish and the, and the little um, uh, shrimp looking things, the seahorses, all that stuff. Like what's, what's the purpose in all that? Except to make us pause and go, wow. And so let's, let's do God the service of not thinking he is just simple math and that, and that he can be rendered to just the Jesus storybook Bible or, or some other sim- simplistic kind of thing. I didn't just take a shot at the Jesus story. I love Sally Lloyd-Jones, by the way. I'm not sure it should be called a Bible, though. But you can talk to me later about that. Um, but I do think that it, it, we do it a disservice. when God a disservice when we, we're so reductionistic and we don't give him time to unfold and recognize sometimes we're not ready for the answer. There's just certain things we're not ready to know. And if you've lived, you know this, right? There's things you know now that you're like, man, there's no way I could grasp that at 18. No way. Um, No way it would have made sense. No way we could have seen it. Um, Which is a point that Flannery O'Connor makes. She, She says, you can't see what you can't see. Again, that sounds overly simplistic, but it's just true, isn't it? you got to cultivate sight. It's fascinating in the same way C.S. Lewis in the book Out of the Silent Planet uh, when Ransom first comes to the planet and is looking around, he has no idea what he's looking at because he's never seen it before. And he has no way to even process, what am I even trying to look at? Um, and it takes him a while to get oriented before he can know what's happening. And so in the same way, let us honor the Lord our God and recognize how deep the Father's love for us, how vast and, and complex is creation, how amazingly intricate we really are and and not be in such a hurry to make a decision on who and what he is. He'll let us know and has done so and has revealed himself both in creation and revelation, but most importantly, he's revealed himself in the person and work of Jesus Christ uniquely. 
And so that's what we're going to talk about here this morning. If you would hear this quote from Charles Simeon, I think it fits well with what we've been saying. In treating on divine subjects, the mind should should be impressed with holy awe. Whenever we approach them, we should apply to ourselves the injunction given to Moses and pull off our shoes as standing upon holy ground. But of all subjects, that of the incarnation of our blessed Lord should be contemplated with the profoundest reverence. It has heights and depths which even the heavenly intelligences themselves are unable to explore. And again, that's one of the things you'll you'll hear people say, 100% man, 100% God, math don't work. I know, I I get that. But it's not math, it's redemption. And redemption makes sense to no one. Um, And so let's turn to the text. And this is the conclusion of John's prologue, which again, if you're going to read the Gospel of John, you have to understand how verses 1 through 18 set the stage for the entire book. And again and again, one of the things you will notice as you study John is how how Jesus himself is often um, turning the gaze away from even him himself and pointing it back to God. It's, it's, it's really a unique thing in, in John's gospel where every time somebody says something, Jesus pushes it away and says, no, turn and behold the Father. Turn and behold the Father. And so if you would give your attention to the reading of God's word this morning. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of him who I said, He comes after me and he ranks before me because he was before me. And from that fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let me take a drink and see if this will improve the the rasps real quick. All right, what John is saying here is is really consistent with a lot that goes on in the Old Testament. God has longed to dwell with his people. Remember, why does he deliver them from Egypt? So that they can worship in his presence. Because it was never going to happen in Egypt. Pharaoh would never allow them to worship another god in his presence, because Pharaoh thought he was God. And so the Lord delivers them so that they can, they can be with their God and worship in his presence and get to know him. And remember, as a part of that, one of the things he did was he, he had them build a tabernacle, right? If you remember, the tabernacle was made out of animal skins, very thick animal skins. And so that's not the temple, that's the tabernacle. The, the temple comes a bit later and is not made out of animal skins. But there are curtains that cover the Holy of Holies even in the temple. And so in the same way, in the language that John is using, um, he essentially says the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Meaning that God, very God, took on this humiliating tent of flesh so that he could dwell uniquely with his people. And even more importantly, so that he could dwell in all of us. Remember what Jesus says, that he says, I and my Father come to make a home within you. 
we are referred to as the temple of the Holy Spirit. The fullness of the Godhead dwells within those of us who are redeemed. And that is something I think we should take a little more respect of, right? And I think that we should also be more in awe of that uh, than we are. And part of the problem is we just don't even think about it because it's we don't know what to do with it, if we're honest. And sometimes it makes us feel bad and it doesn't encourage us like it ought to or whatever it may be, when instead, no, you ought to be the most encouraged that the creator of this universe would, would provide everything necessary to dwell within you so that you could dwell with him for an eternity and be able to enjoy all that he's created. Because remember, the new heavens and the new earth I think those terms are very specific. Um, I I think C.S. Lewis probably gets it the most right in The Great Divorce. We have yet to actually experience what grass really feels like. I think we've yet to see the the, the beauty of the sky or, or the beauty of any of these created things. At long last, we will be able to do so without the 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 scourge and the and the cataract of sin. What a gift that will someday be. But between the now and the not yet, we get to experience it more and more. Just, I think, Susan, in that moment, as she beheld that jellyfish and, and was in awe. Now, you may say, you wouldn't be in awe if it was like on your face, like stinging you. Oh, well, yeah, fair enough. But th- thus, the Georgia Aquarium having dominion and all. That's helpful. Uh, and, so, and so she was able to have a moment where it was kind of a thin place where she was in awe. And again, as you, you stand in these giant manta rays, or, or overhead, and the giant whale sharks are coming around. It's just, it's, it's amazing. It's just an amazing experience. Um, and Clay didn't pay me to say any of that, by the way. So go at your leisure. So the word becomes flesh, and it tabernacles among us. Um, and, and, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the father. Now, this is really important because what John is saying is that it, Jesus, it's only Jesus Christ who could uniquely display the glory of God. There, there is no one else who can display it as full as he can. There are, there are glimmers of it in creation, right? There's glimmers of it in, in, in us as the image bearers, but not the fullness the fullness was, was for Christ alone, which is why he uniquely is the son of God. He is uniquely the firstborn of all creation because only he was able to contain the glory of God and display it in a way that would draw us to him. Remember, the whole point of this display of glory is not that we would run, not that we would run from the throne of grace, but that we, we would run to the throne of grace to receive everything we need. This is why it's so important that when you sin, when you mess up, when you miss the mark, which way do you run? Because if you run from the throne of grace, what are you saying? God is terrible. Or I'm so terrible that that I can eclipse the cross. Really? You'd be better off actually making those kinds of statements because at least you could hear yourself honestly instead of playing games. Instead, what we should do is always, always run to the throne of grace because of this truth right here. Christ became flesh, tabernacled among us so that we could behold the glory of God in man. So he goes on from there and he says, full of grace and truth. And then later on, he's going to repeat that, which we know that anytime something is repeated in scripture, that's 
we should pay attention to that. And he seems to be uh, maybe not pitting it against the law, but in addition to the law. Because remember, if all we had was the law, how far could we go? All we could know if all we had was the law is that we failed. But the beauty of grace and truth in addition to the law is not only that, yes, you failed, but you are going to receive that which you could never earn, and it's never going to change. The truth is, is that, that God is unchanging, and he's eternal, and his redemption is unchanging, and it's eternal. That's good news to us. And so this, this grace and truth that comes makes it very clear to us that we, though fallen, can be redeemed. That though we have, we, we have sinned, and though we have, uh, in many respects, rejected God as if he were so far away, he draws near to us in grace and in truth. And it's unchanging. And then it goes on to give a parenthetical statement about John bearing witness. And John made it so clear, I'm not talking about me. I'm, I, don't look to me. And this is, and it will be an important charge. We do have a deacon uh, that will be ordained this morning. And part of the charge to him, part of the charge to Matt is that, is that he would recognize he's not God. And he doesn't have to try to be God. Um, instead, what he's doing is representing in his gifts and abilities and callings uh, a portion of the glory of God. And so John makes it clear, I'm not him. Jesus alone is him. And then he goes on, he says, and from the fullness, from his fullness. That's such a good thing. And Paul says the same thing, right? He says, the fullness of the Godhead was pleased to dwell in Christ. He says, it's from that fullness, from that overflow, um, that we receive grace upon grace. And for those of you who know anything about the word grace, wouldn't saying it one time just be enough? But, but our God is better than that. Our God is more lavish than that. He says it's not just, not just grace. It is grace upon grace. And what does that tell us? That it's never ending. Now, some of you may be saying, well, I mean, you keep emphasizing all that grace nonsense and people will act a fool. Well, I've been around for a little while, and I don't think people need much excuse to act a fool. And I've never seen grace really make them act more of a fool. Now, it may make them confused about who they really are. There is a danger there, don't get me wrong. It could cause them to stand before the Lord and hear, depart from me, I never knew you. However, <clears throat> however, what this ought to do is cause us to praise and worship. This ought to cause us to want to be obedient and to display God's glory um, as, as the redeemed people of God, as those who are indwelt by the fullness of the Trinity, right? Uh, it's, this, this shouldn't be anything that we would, we would uh, um, presuppose on or cheapen or, or trample underfoot or any of those kinds of things. Uh, this should actually give us great liberty to worship in spirit and truth, amen? And so um, we, it says we've received grace upon grace, and it says the law was given through Moses, Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, but he has made him known. And remember, this is the first time Jesus Christ's name is mentioned is in verse 17. Uh, John was being a good author and kind of holding us at bay, but he mentions him in 17. He makes it very clear that it is Christ alone who has made God known. And so, so it is very important for us as God's people that we study the person and work of Christ. That, that we are very familiar with who he is so that we know better who God is, right? 
And so one of the best things I've ever done, uh, I was near the end of my time in seminary, and it may have been just after I'd graduated. I took a year and, and just studied the person and work of Christ. It had such a profound impact on me um, it really was life-changing. Um, it was a very significant point in my own sanctification. And I would encourage you to do the same. And you may say, well, what books did you read? I'm not going to tell you because it, it, that may not be what you need to read. In fact, one of them is by John Murray. And this, it, it'll fool you. It's about 160 pages, but it's the densest thing you'll ever deal with in your life. And so that may not be good for you. And it's not always one-to-one. Um, <clears throat> But it is important that we do make sure that we are focusing on regularly learning and growing in the person and work of Christ. Parents, one of the greatest things you will keep before your children is the person and work of Christ. Friends, neighbors, one of the greatest things you will keep before your friends and neighbors is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Just as Josh said, because we were the hands and feet of Jesus and displayed that so tangibly. There was a woman who had lost some hope and faith of sorts. For, and we could, we, we could try to hash through that and be like, well, you know, maybe she went to the wrong church uh, or grew up with the wrong family. I don't know how you get out of that one. Uh, but, but either way, what she's, she's saying now is it, it's been restored. And amen. And you may think... <clears throat> I mean, you may have bought those gifts begrudgingly. Some of you may have not have even bought them at all. Um, but, but we were able to provide. And, and, and any grumbling was taken away in the moment that those gifts were wrapped and given. Um, and you need to continue to pray for that ministry because it's one of the areas where we're actually having a tangible impact in our community. And that's important. So <clears throat> as we wrap this up, I want you to hear what Michael Williams says about this passage. He wrote a great book that I would commend to every single one of you called Far as the Curse is Found. It's a book on biblical theology. I think it's readable um, at most levels. Um, and, And he says this. He says, making God known is the particular business of Jesus. Making the coming God of Old Testament promise the present God, showing us up close and personal in the flesh, the character and ways of the creator, In Jesus of Nazareth, God is brought near, made close, personal, available to his people. In the incarnation, God enters a a young girl's womb and comes into our world to begin the long and blood-covered path to restore and regenerate, to reclaim again all creation, and to fulfill the covenant promise, I will be your God and you will be my people. So Jesus comes to reclaim for God his people. And he does so by taking on the humiliation of the flesh. And he bore, the, the as Hebrews chapter 2 makes so clear, he bore all of the things that we endure. And you may say, well, I, don't, I mean, I don't think he wrestled with this whole net neutrality issue. You're right, he didn't. Uh, um, but he wrestled with a whole lot of other issues that are probably fairly similar Um, And so you you may think, well, he hasn't wrestled with sexuality. Let me ask you, how hard is it to remain perfect in reference to your sexuality? See, I would argue he wrestled way harder than we do because we like to wrestle and fail. And some of us, it's not even failing. We just ain't trying very hard. Whereas he had to maintain his perfection. 
You don't think there was some sexual tension with the Samaritan woman at the well? You're misreading that text if you don't, if you don't recognize or some measure of it because even the disciples recognized it, right? Remember, they said, hold on a second. Uh, Mike Pence, don't, don't eat with women by himself. What you doing? Right? <laughs> so, so, so they recognized that, that something wasn't or could have happened, right? And so Jesus had to maintain his perfection where you, you haven't. And in fact, Hebrews would say, you ain't even probably broke a, a good hard sweat. You haven't, certainly haven't shed blood doing it, right? Like I said, it's a, it's a much easier slide on into sin than it is sanctification. And so Jesus, being perfect, actually endured harder than we will ever know. And praise God. Praise God that he did, and he's applied that to us. So the question I have for you is, what have you learned about God through the person and work of Christ? Are you maybe, uh, unfortunately, separating the two? Because I think that's a problem that we also have is we kind of sometimes separate Jesus and God and, and fail to actually recognize, no, Jesus is God made flesh. Everything that is God was displayed in and through the life of Christ. And as you read the Gospels and as you read about what Jesus is doing, you should also be thinking, that is God. That is God displaying his character in this world. Again, I want to commend to you to memorize Exodus 34, 6, and 7, where God declares who he is. And then take that, and if that's in your memory, as you read the Gospels and you read about Jesus, you'll see those things come true and, and take on flesh and dwell among us. So what have you learned about God through the personal work of Jesus Christ? And if you would say, I don't think I've really learned anything in the last year, that should trouble you. And that should cause you to take, take up tools to try to figure this out. Again, being a disciple does not mean that everything is downloaded to you. You have to work. You have to cultivate. You have to participate. You have to get involved in discipleship at some level. It's not something that casually happens. And then what are some ways in which you've experienced the presence and grace of God through the person and work of Christ? Um, again, <clears throat> so much of this for me has been through how the Lord has restored my relationship with both of my children um, and just seeing how uh, the, the personal work of Christ has been applied to that and how he continues. My daughter will be coming up for her birthday uh, this next week and again uh, for her to feel welcome and for her to want to come and spend time with her family, not just because she's going to get some nice gifts because uh, we're super Spartan. We'll like give her a gift card like it's a Starbucks or something, but um, I'm just kidding. We'll do better than that. But she's not just coming to get the gifts, right? We could just mail those to her. But she genuinely is, is, is seeing restoration and how she's, how she's bearing witness to, she even said to Susan, she said, I want a marriage like what you guys have. Um, and and I, I just will tell you as a father, um, I mean, I would long for her to have that as well. Um, and so, you know, for her to see that, um, actually the way she said it is, you guys are my relationship goal. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. So the person and work of Christ makes a difference. 
And so you, you, you need to be able to, to testify to that and be able to share that with people. And, and, and you know, that, that makes such a difference. And so, again, if you're struggling in that regard, confess that, deal with that, get into that. We, we need each other. This is why you can't be a disciple in a vacuum. You need other people to, to hear their stories and be encouraged by them. This is why for so many of you as parents, parents, you need other couples in similar circumstances to hear your story, hear your struggle, and to walk alongside you. Um, I mean, it, one of the loneliest miles you will ever walk is, is in, in dealing with a prodigal child um, or your own prodigal heart towards your child. Uh, and trying to process that. And so um, we, we desperately need each other. And so don't walk in darkness on this. As, 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 the, as it says in Isaiah, come out, come out of darkness. So what do we learn from John 1, 14 through 18? Uh, we learn that Jesus is the word made flesh to dwell among us, to reveal the grace and glory of God for our redemption. Charles Spurgeon says this very beautifully. He says, sing, sing, O universe, till thou hast exhausted thyself, yet thou canst not chant an anthem so sweet as the song of the incarnation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for Christ who dwells among us. God, thank you that you have been so good to us. to, to come and be with your people taking on the humiliation of flesh. God, thank you that you, um, you did all of that to redeem us, that he was filled, full, brimming with grace upon grace, and that he came according to grace and truth, that grace would, would operate within the banks of the river of truth, that we would have so much opportunity, so much creativity to live and be and, and enjoy being your people. God, I pray that what we would walk away with this morning is a a closeness to you, that we would feel your nearness in and through the person and work of Christ. And that if for any reason we can't feel that, that we would work very hard, that we would be willing to get and take up the tools of the means of grace to try to find where it is that we lost sight of you so that we could see you and behold you again. As we will learn next Sunday, we will, to be able to behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We pray for this in Christ's name. Amen.